Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you that there's something else. The afterword. With an opening like that, you know it can mean only one thing. Here it is, our debut episode of Unwanted Movie Commentaries. This is episode 47 of everyone's favorite mediocre program. This podcast is Just Okay, uh, the Purple Rain episode. Um, let's hit the theme song, Waste No Time, we'll get into it. Uh, we'll sync up in a minute. Here we go. <laughs> everybody thanks for joining me on this wonderful uh sunday evening um this is going to be a big episode man i've been really excited to do this kind of nervous at the same time but i'm going to jump in both feet first so um it's kind of weird i've always i've always heard commentaries i've always listened to different movie related podcasts and uh i'm a big fan and one thing i love about them is that they're they're hilarious they're funny and um Part of that, though, is that they have a dynamic group of people doing the commentaries together, kind of like a mystery science theater uh, thing. Um, but uh, the thing that makes me nervous is that uh, I'm doing this by myself this this first time here. Um, if it goes well, maybe I can get some guest hosts to do another one some other time. But uh, for now, this is going to be me. I hope I can be entertaining enough to you guys. Um, I, I've been pulling research left and right for this movie. Um, if you have it, great i'm sure you could rent it through netflix um you can get it on itunes you can uh, wherever wherever movies are sold and rented um you can get this movie uh purple rain uh 1984 um starring prince um that's that's gonna be a it's gonna be a great film um i've seen it before i loved it and that's kind of what inspired me when i was watching i was like oh man this would be uh it would be great to do some commentary over, but um, <laughs> I'm hoping that it doesn't dull out and I can actually do enough uh, commentary for the entire film. Uh, I think this is going to be a two-part episode because uh, it's going to be a long one, folks. Um, so we'll sync up here in a minute. Um, get things going, man. Get some get some popcorn. Get a, get a drink. Get a soda. Get some chips. Get get some pizza. Whatever you want to do, uh, we're gonna. We're going to have some uh, movie time, and that's going to be great. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll uh, sync it up at zero, and then uh, we'll hit play together. I'll do the commentary. We'll uh, split about halfway through the movie and continue it on next week. Uh, just because this is going to be a long episode, and I don't want you guys sitting here for two solid hours going, oh my god, what's going on here? So um, <laughs> uh, with that, um, let's get everything ready to go. All right, so quick side note here. Um, I actually... Uh, Played some basketball, made myself some pancakes, purified myself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka, and now I think we are finally ready to start this movie. So, um, I've got the 20th anniversary edition of Purple Rain here on, on a DVD. Um, you know, ask your parents what those are, kids, <laughs> since everything's digital nowadays. Um, I've got it synced at zero. I'm going to count down from three. Okay, so when I do that, we're going to hit play. Three... Two, one, play. Movie starting. I've got subtitles on. Cause, uh, let's see, i got to turn it down just a tad there. There's the Warner Brothers logo. The Revolution. Okay. 
There's Prince's uh, silhouette there. There's the band, the Revolution. Purple Rain. I'm just waiting for the sun to start. There it is. Here we go. Let's get nuts, man. There it is. So, Purple Rain uh, came out in 1984. Um, hang on, I'm going to refer to my show notes here, which is uh, going to be pretty cool here. <clears throat> a lot of my show notes come from Wikipedia and IMDb, as well as uh, watching special features and stuff um, on the, the special edition of this DVD. Um, directed by Albert Magnoli, um, <clears throat> this is a semi-biographical film about Prince's life. Um, I guess he came up with the, the plot or the, the idea of a movie during his 1999 tour in 1983. And uh, I went to some producers and said, hey, man, I want to I do a movie. And since he's Prince, I mean, he wasn't on the, the, the top of the world like, you know, we knew uh, Prince nowadays, um, I guess. But uh, so the, here he was in his, uh, in his early days, um, prime, you know, he had, he had a couple albums out. And uh, they said, sure, let's do it, man. And uh, I originally, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know if this is true, but I heard rumors that uh, they had originally thought of John Travolta playing the part of Prince. So <laughs> that would be kind of weird, huh? So weird. But, um... <sighs> there you go, man. It stars Prince as the kid. Uh, you got Apollonia Cotero as Apollonia. Uh, originally, uh, he had Vanity playing her part, but she dropped out midway through and they had to reshoot with Apollonia. Um, you got, uh, a lot of the characters in here are actually playing their real names. You know, you got Jill Jones, uh, Billy Sparks, Jerome Benton, uh, Des Dickerson, uh, you know, so on. Uh, uh, Morris Day, obviously. There he is on his bike, driving out of the concert. <clears throat> so, uh, let's see here. Oh, I'm totally eaten, by the way, too, because, you know, I don't have a co-host or anything to banter with, so, uh, yeah, I guess food, right, you know? Um, yeah, I wish I could dance like Prince, you know? There's Apollonia checking out the club for the first time. Here's the mystery. What am I eating? I even got a drink here, so, uh. Hey, props to you guys if you can guess it, right? <laughs> no, that's one thing. Oh, there's Morris. That's one thing. I always... I wish I would have gotten to see Prince live, but I never did. I never uh, got that opportunity. They're talking about bringing him in as, like, a hologram now. I don't think they should, man. I think that's, that's disrespectful, but... Um, you know, yeah, the Tupac thing was cool. Michael Jackson thing was cool. They even did one with Freddie Mercury, but I, I think uh, I think it tarnishes their legacy. You know, you shouldn't be doing holograms of maybe. Uh, actually, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess it makes sense uh, if you're gonna do it like in movies, 
I don't know if that's what they did with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Hunger Games after after he passed away, but um, but I, I don't know. Uh, you start thinking about holograms, and you start thinking people will never have to perform again. Um, I often thought about uh, Kiss doing that, you know, because that that'd be the only way you'd get all four original members to perform, right? You'd get them, uh, get all four holograms playing in Vegas or something. But and who knows? It might happen. <clears throat> Anyway, man, Prince, one of the greatest entertainers of our time, gone too soon, and that's that's kind of what inspired me to do this commentary. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'll tell you, yeah. I don't know. I love this movie. It's good. Runtime is 111 minutes, so we're going to split this in two episodes. Uh, but, um... Is Apollonia trying to get in? She's probably breaking out. She sneaks in. Spoilers. <laughs> so, um... Let's see. So their, uh, their estimated budget... No, that can't be right. That can't be right. Hang on a second. I'm going to pull up some more show notes here uh, since we're doing this live. Um, I can't pause and look up things. <clears throat> so, Prince actually won two Grammy Awards in 1985 for this movie. Um... Best Rock Vocal Performance and Best all Album or Original Scores. So he, he won two Grammys for the soundtrack. This is an amazing soundtrack. I used to have it on vinyl, and it was actually uh, was actually stolen from me. And uh, to this day, I've never rebought the vinyl. I've got the album digital. I don't know. I've got that in my iPod. That's standard, but... Well, I've got the complete Prince discography. Well, it's great to go back to those original early albums and uh, and check those out. But <clears throat> so he's doing this amazing guitar solo. I know Prince is considered a genius and musical, you know, uh, what have you, and he's an amazing performer, and he arranges all the music, and he writes it all himself, but I don't, I don't know if people really understand just how amazing of a guitarist he is. If I could play half the stuff he did, man, I'd be in, in a good setting, you know? <laughs> So, uh, this uh, soundtrack has actually sold uh, over 22 million copies worldwide, making it the sixth best-selling soundtrack of all time. Yeah, there should be a... There's a mistake here. There's a goof. When she's writing on that piece of paper there. Let's see. I don't know if you can see it up close there.
So, right there, she had written uh, under her list experience, singer and dancer. But uh, when you see it on the board in later scenes, it, it just says uh, it's blank. So that's a, that's a continuity error. There's um, Morris Day in the mother effing time. free for you guys. But, uh, I, so I missed another continuity error here. When, uh, when Morris was looking in the mirror, <coughs> oh, pardon me, when, uh, let's see, where's it at, where's it at, where's it at, I have it written down here. There we go, when he's, when he's looking at himself in the mirror while Prince is performing Let's Go Crazy, uh, he takes a step to the side, revealing a stage hand, uh, in the mirror. And uh, the stagehand actually looks at the camera and kind of slides out of view. Um, so you can go back a few minutes and check that out, too. See, it says singer and dancer there. But when it's posted, it's blank. <clears throat> Prince has a pretty intense stare. Love this song, especially when they featured it in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and uh, you got Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith dancing on stage with him at the end of the movie. Spoilers, but um, when Prince is gone, it's disappeared like Batman. Speaking of Batman. <laughs> We all know who did that soundtrack. There he goes home. I actually... I don't know, but I wonder what happened to that bike um, that's in a museum or if Prince kept it. I honestly don't know what happened to that motorcycle. That'd be a pretty cool bike to see. that prince he didn't ask you anything
<laughs> he talks about how Prince isn't pulling in numbers. Truth is, it's because it's uh, it's about five years before he writes Bat Dance. <laughs> uh, speaking of Bat Dance, I'll tell you, man, I growing up, I was never really a huge fan of Prince. Like as a kid, the only the only Prince album I loved growing up was the Batman soundtrack. That was my that was my introduction to Prince and my my favorite album. I still have it to this day in my my iPod. My son loves it and everything. But uh, yeah, start to finish. I mean, you got Scandalous, uh, Bad Dance, Party Man, Trust. Um, that, that's a staple of our childhood. You, you put on uh, Trust. Instantly brings you back to that moment on the on the float when the Joker's throwing money into the the streets of Gotham. <laughs> but um, so the Batman soundtrack, it's the only Prince album I ever loved. And then uh, we were at a record store when uh, the day that Hit and Run uh, Phase One dropped, and they uh, they started playing the album. Like, what is this? That that sounds like Prince. I mean, it had this weird intro, and uh, we found it, it was Prince. I guess he had just mysteriously dropped an album, didn't announce it or nothing, and uh, that was actually that was actually one we actually bought it that day. And from then on, I went back and I got his entire discography. I love that album so much. That's actually in my car right now. <coughs> but uh, yeah, if you don't have Hit and Run, man, get that one. Phase two, I. I'm still growing on that one, but uh, Phase 1, it was like, perfect album start to finish. You, you can't get enough of it. It's a wonderful, fantastic album, and it goes back to his early days. Uh, it's like a, like a throwback to the fans. Um, it even starts with the famous uh, Dearly Beloved line. It starts off the album. But, uh, and here's Morris. He's, he's training his dancers. Where they want to start buying for Apollonia. Those are the good old days. You can just pick up a woman and throw her in the garbage. <laughs> so, let's see.
So check this out. That flash you just saw right there. That was uh, uh, presumably a publicist taking production photos while they were filming. Says another uh, continuity or uh, uh, continuity error or a, a goof where the equipment's visible. <clears throat> I try to keep an eye out for that sort of stuff. Uh, little errors. great scene. I think this is the only, like, out-of-the-city shot they did. It's in the daytime. He's got no worries on his shoulders right there. He's got suave hair. I wish I had hair like that. Sunglasses. song Take Me With You. There's not a bad song on this album. Um, going back and listening to it again with fresh ears, like, it's just this is a good record. Yeah. I realized through getting the rest of the disc discography and stuff, that it's not it's not that I wasn't a fan of Prince, it's that I wasn't a fan of the, uh, the radio hits. The Raspberry Beret and Little Red Corvette and all those. I didn't like those. I liked the the songs they didn't play on the radio. The the better tracks on the album. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Just he had much better songs than they they put out. So <clears throat> this scene, the the Lake Minnetonka scene, is it's crazy because I guess it was so cold out. They said it, it got down to like almost twenty below zero. And Apollonia had to jump in the water. And um, they did four different takes of her jumping in and then jumping in, jumping in. That eventually they moved the scene to L.A. to have her getting out of the water where it was warmer. And at one point she actually got hypothermia. <clears throat> and Prince was worried she was going to die. And she kept going, man. She was, she was pushing it. She was strong.
<laughs> I love that line. <laughs> Especially after that, uh, that skit that Dave Chappelle did a few years back and Charlie Murphy's telling the story about him and Prince. <laughs> Dave Chappelle says, why don't you go purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka after he serves them in basketball? If you haven't seen that, go go to YouTube and check that out. It's a funny episode, man. <clears throat> if there's any kids watching, cover your eyes. And there, there's another uh, error. His tires actually change based on the setting he's driving in. So those are mountain tires, as opposed to the street tires we saw earlier on. See, there, they're changed again. But it's right around here you start to realize, I think that Prince is actually the villain in this movie. Uh, he does some pretty messed up stuff, man. She goes for it. Man, he's charming. Don't get my seat wet. <laughs> so they drive off into the sunset. Her hair is nice and dry and permed, like, you know, the wind does. And, uh, life goes on. This is the First Avenue Club. There's uh, the outside of it. That's a real club. And that's actually where Prince got his start. Um along with Morris and all them. It was a hopping spot to be, and, uh, sorry, man, my, my mouth's full. So they start talking about this here, saying, you know, I only have three acts. I don't need four. You gotta cut someone. And that was really real in that time. And, uh, I don't know, sometimes Prince would call up and just say, hey, I'm playing tonight, and show up, sell the place out, <clears throat> And after this movie, that uh, the first time a new club came up with a, they had a lot of problems with people. Uh, it became basically a tourist place. Uh, where people wanted their picture taken there and stuff instead of the 
music club that it was supposed to be. And actually, I guess it's still hopping, and there's uh, a lot of acts still coming out of there, which is pretty cool. Abbott and Costello, who's on first bit. Morris. He's probably high. <laughs> no, I, actually heard, I actually read that uh, he was battling with substance abuse problems around this time. They actually had to prop him up a lot of times and just to get him on set for the, the movie here. Here's the group. They want to play new songs. They want to. They want to write their own songs. Let's see. He's got that creepy puppet. <clears throat> so, from what I understand, I guess this is actually how he treated them. Uh, Wendy and Lisa, they wrote a lot of music, and he refused to, to use any of it. Prince was set in his ways, and he had a I mean, he had an ear for, for music and a, and a great talent for it, but I don't think he wanted to let anyone else get in the way of that.
So there's actually a scene when uh, when he Prince as the kid tells Wendy and Lisa, "No one cares about your music." Um, Wendy and Lisa actually went on to release five albums uh, by themselves after they left the Revolution, and uh, they all kind of flopped. None of them were commercial successes. Sorry, guys, I'm enjoying the movie just as much as you are. <laughs> oh, Morris is pretty suave, too. It's got a lot of good opening lines right there, so fellas, take notes. I think the brass waterbed line is, you know.
And what's really great about this is uh, most of the songs were actually recorded live. That's pretty neat. It's almost like he's singing right to her, saying, hey, man, you picking Morris or me? year 2016 after Prince died um, Purple Rain recharted at number 2 on the Billboard 200 uh, selling over 69,000 copies that week which is pretty cool man I mean uh, uh, Entertainment Weekly listed Purple Rain as number 2 of the greatest albums of all time back in 2013 um, let's see <clears throat> Purple Rain stayed at number one on the Billboard 200 for 24 consecutive weeks, the fourth longest in the chart's history. That's amazing. Um, it sold over 1.5 million copies in its first week in stores. Um, sold with a total of 25 million copies sold worldwide. Let's see, Rolling Stone ranked it number 76 on the 500 greatest albums of all time, and number 2 on the 100 best albums of the 80s. So there's some cool stats for you. And I guess that's what, uh, that's what really shot him up there as being, you know, one of the biggest superstars on the planet next to Michael Jackson. And I, and I always wondered what their feud was about, too. I think with I think with the two of them it was all in good fun, you know. Uh, Michael had asked Prince to be on uh, in the the bad video, uh, portraying the, the part that Wesley Snipes eventually took, but Prince wouldn't do it because uh, Michael's opening line of the song was "Your butt is mine," and uh, Prince said he didn't want another man singing that to him, so that's why he uh, didn't appear in the video. But. Uh, I was wondering if their their banter was playful or not, because uh, I don't know. Maybe they were they were both threatened by each other. I guess I I don't know.
It's sad to think of the day and age that we live in, too. I mean, there's never going to be another prince. You know. Gene Simmons of Kiss has said some controversial stuff, especially about Prince's death, which I'm not going to touch on because I think he's an idiot at that point. But what he has said is, you know, Rock is dead. People argue, no, Rock's not dead. You just got to know where to look, you know. True, but what he meant by that is you look at the bands of today and the, the groups and the music and everything, and all that's throwaway music. All this stuff's... Uh, we live in an age where everything's just so readily available and, and at will in, in the palm of our hands that we don't take the time to appreciate it anymore. We just, it, it's throwaway. Um, you know, I remember going to, to record stores and stuff, you know, growing up, standing in line, waiting waiting for hours for them to open so I can get the new whatever album. Mostly Kiss. But, uh... <coughs> you know, the the fact that I can I can download an entire discography on my computer in under an hour is like, well, who needs record stores? But... Uh, I don't know. You look at bands like Zeppelin or, or ACDC or Kiss or even Prince, and you think to yourself... Where's that in the future? Who's going to be the next Zeppelin? Who's going to be the next Prince? You're not going to have these legendary rock icons um, in the future making making music. But I don't know. And, and you really see that in the, the performance here um, on this movie. It's, just, it's wonderful. I wish I, I wish I could have seen them live. She has a place. She's homeless. Working in the bushes. Just like a Bigfoot. None of you have guessed by now. It's a spicy chicken sandwich. That's what I'm eating with French fries and a orange mango tea. So um, if you got that right, props. See his sweet basement set up. Creepy. And all of a sudden, all too quickly, this turns into fifty shades of purple.
this world. Those strange things. No, I didn't forget the mic's on. I just, uh... I don't really have any stories for this part of the movie. I guess I can say, um... If you're a fan of Kevin Smith... Check, I think it's, uh... God, Evening with Kevin Smith Part 2? Uh, even harder, I think. It's one of the three, um... Evenings that he put out on, on DVD... Where he goes in great length talking about, um the week that he got to spend with Prince. And uh, it's a crazy story. It goes into how he had called Prince originally because he wanted, I think, Let's Get Nuts um, to play in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And uh, Prince ended up saying, Hey, why don't you, since you're a director, come direct this documentary for me that I'm making? Kevin says, okay, cool. So they go up. I mean, I'm, I'm probably butchering the story, of course, but uh, they go up. He goes up there to, to record the, the the commentary, the documentary and stuff. And uh, so Prince was a weird dude, man. Nice guy, I guess, but just weird dude. Um, he had been a... I guess he was a, a big fan of Dogma. So he wanted to meet Kevin. And... Uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, you know Kevin Smith. If you if you listen to any of his podcasts or see any of his movies, uh, he's got some colorful language. And uh, Prince told him not to curse around him. He said, "You you can't swear around me." Um, but he wanted to uh, to to make it kind of like a religious film because he was like a born again. Um, I don't know what well, I don't want to say Christian or Mormon. I don't know what he was, but he was. Something religious. And, uh... <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good story. I mean, you gotta, you gotta check it out. You gotta look it up. Um, it, it was weird, like... He had every, every room in the house, like, wired for sound, so he could, like, be in his little command center listening to everything going on and stuff. I don't know, Prince was... Just in a weird spot, I guess. But uh, anyway, Kevin filmed this documentary, shot it for like a week straight, to the point where he ran out of film at one point. And to this day, the documentary's never seen the light of day. It just kind of went into a vault with the other thousands of Prince songs that have never uh, been released. But uh, at the end of the day, through all of it, um, he still denied him the song. <laughs> Said, "No, you can't use my song." Get, get the other guy from Purple Rain. Talking about Morris, and that's why Morris Day got to be in uh, Jane's Home Bob.
So, I mean, Prince is the villain of this movie, man. But maybe that's why he's the kid. He's, uh, he's not mature enough. So, um, there's a, I think there's a continuity or, or, or a goof here. Let's see. <laughs> Scrolling down here. There's a there's a boom mic visible. Maybe. What has he done for you lately? There's a couple of spots when uh, Morris and Jerome are talking. It's overdubbed. And when he says Apollonia, you could see his mouth move vanity. Because <laughs> uh, at that point, she was still in the film. Actually, they just overdubbed it rather than shooting over. Right there, when she says, I'm thinking about buying a guitar, uh, there's a boom mic visible on the screen there. I realize this is one of the only times you really see Prince without an elaborate outfit or purple suit. I like that he keeps going back to this song. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. His dad's mad again. Slapping his mom around. Now, being a biographical film, I don't know how much of that is real. I've always wondered. I know some of it is, but...
So here we get the uh, the impression that he had a dream too. He had a. I don't know if it's revealed yet that he was a. Uh, ooh, there's a there's a line. I would die for you. Which becomes an essential song on the album. is a good enough dude to take care of his mom, you know. Sleeping with all those candles lit around his room like Dracula. should know that shape of the box since he's a musician. Look at that. I want one of those. That's a nice looking guitar. exchanging emotion and gifts without emojis that was a simpler time and here comes the villain and prince slapping her down maybe he's just like his father Maybe she's never satisfied. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he's... I'm gonna show her what it sounds like when a dove cries. She crawls out the window like a vigilante, as nobody uses doors.
So, they want to kick him off the bill. Vanity 6, I mean, Apollonia 6. comes the montage of when doves cry. And uh, just a side note, I'm actually watching this with the uh, subtitles on so I can kind of visualize what's going on while I'm recording. There's no subtitles on this song. I just assume because the whole world knows it. <laughs> scene was uh, him and Vanity. I guess they had like a really big uh, graphic scene in the, in the barn there, and it was cut. Um, a few things were cut. Um, I guess uh, Wendy and Lisa had a relationship, and they didn't want to portray that in the film, so all the scenes of them kissing and stuff was uh, cut out of the, the final movie. But uh, I'm going to go back a, a little bit, not rewind the movie, but uh, go back to uh, Morris Day's pickup lines with uh, Apollonia, where I said he's got some good lines. Um, I have this written here. Um, the the pickup lines that he's, uh, that he's reciting to her are uh, paraphrased from uh, the song Chili Sauce, um, which is on the Times third album. So... Uh, that, that's the album that, that contains that Jungle Love and the Bird. Um, and he also says, uh, What Time Is It? And that's the title of uh, their second album. So a, a lot of the stuff he's saying is referencing his own music, which is uh, pretty funny. So this part, when his uh, 
when his dad's playing the piano, um, <clears throat> uh, it's actually heard later in the movie as the guitar solo in Computer Blue. But here's something interesting, though. That scene where his dad's playing the piano. Um, the music, the piano part was actually played by Prince. That's pretty sweet. So, Albert Magnoli, the... Uh, director of this film talked about this scene um, actually bringing him to tears and this was a <clears throat> this is a real thing that happened in Prince's life and they recreated it so this was a really powerful scene for all the actors and a really tough scene for for everybody This part here when he tells him not to get married. I don't know, considering that they only play one song and leave, if this is their opening track, why is Prince so sweaty? Or is it baby oil? I don't know.
I don't understand how these people can look so bored while watching him perform. Now, by this point, you're wondering, if she bought him that nice guitar, why isn't he using it yet, you know? We know. Now that's the thing too, you, you're starting to notice Morris doesn't really seem like a bad guy. I mean, he's just business. He wants to make money, he wants to get his club running. But they portray him to be the villain when you got Prince who won't play his band's music. He's really self-centered and selfish. Slapped his girlfriend around. Don't get me wrong, I like Prince, but they really don't portray him to be the nice guy in this movie. Morris, I haven't seen anything wrong with the guy. He just wants cash. You gotta love that scream. The <laughs> I love this song. And a few years ago, the uh, the Foo Fighters actually covered this song, and Dave Grohl sounds amazing singing this. And uh, yeah, if you haven't heard that one, go check it out. It's off their uh, Medium Rare EP. trying to make Apollonia jealous. But listen to the lyrics of this song and you think, this is the guy that told Kevin Smith not to swear in front of him.
don't know why these guys seem so unimpressed. This is a great song. <laughs> and on the movie version here, they actually cut out the last verse of the song. Even though it's on the album. Just Axl Rose the place. In other words, he's got to go back home and write Bad Dance. That's what I want to hear. I want you to close the movie with Bad Dance. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding. So by the end of this movie, um, oh man! By the end of this movie, uh, him and Morris were having so many creative differences; they weren't even talking. Um, I mean, I I'd assume obviously that uh, they patched up their differences, seeing as how um, they made a sequel to this movie. Um, oh man! The, uh, the Apollonia 6. <laughs> this song is pretty terrible. The performance is awful. Not really a fan. There she's going all Rocky Horror Picture Show. How do you do I? I see you've met my faithful handyman. There's uh, Prince's dad giving her cash. 
Apollonia actually uh, was nominated for a Razzie Award uh, for worst song for this uh, for this particular scene. Uh, let's see if I have some information on that. Uh, 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 uh. Nope, I don't have any, uh, I don't think I have any show notes. There's Prince there, he's like, oh man, what did I do? Anyway, yeah, pretty terrible. I think you can, you can probably cut this scene and still have a pretty decent film. think I don't think that they've actually had any interactions yet, have they? Him and Morris. There we go. Yeah, uh, nominated for two Razzie awards, uh, worst new star for Apollonia. And worst song for Sex Shooter. doing his pimp walk. This movie actually holds a 66% rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Never really uh, understood how Rotten Tomatoes works, but I think that's pretty good. I tried that move once with my wife, and she didn't talk to me for a day or two. So, <laughs> you know. Here comes the kid on the print cycle. See? Villain, man. Right on. 
that's when that word was used appropriately. No. <laughs> when it was appropriate to say it. Not anymore, which is good. I don't like that word. I don't say that word. But, um... What else, man? I haven't really been uh, doing much commentary in a while. Let's see. Um, this movie had a $7.2 million budget, and it ended up bringing in $68 million, which is pretty good. Uh, I don't know what that is by today's standards, but uh, in 1984, that's, that's pretty heavy. Let that drink out of her hand. She leaves in her Tim Curry get up. Oh, Rocky! Gives him back his earring. This seems pretty sad with his dad. He's just a tormented man. Failed in the music business. Hits his wife. There's broken stuff everywhere. Something's wrong. This is actually one of those scenes you don't know if uh, you know, this is real. I, I never, I didn't research that enough, but See, there he's alive. And the original script, um, he was supposed to die by the gunshot wound.
stayed in that house, but, uh, all of a sudden he goes all Kylo Prince. Stormtroopers walk away. Dude, that's like a lot of jam he's destroying. Or salsa. That's gonna stink. And like, I get that he's mad and stuff, but someone's gotta clean that up afterwards. So then you find out his dad's a liar because he did write down the music that Prince was asking for. He's like, there's a difference between me and you, boy. I'll write my music down. He sure did. Now Prince knows it. Life will never be the same. So, Brown Mark, um, Prince's bass player, is the only member of the Revolution that doesn't speak a single line in this entire movie. And like I said, I don't know if I, I... Yeah, I guess him and Morris have had an interaction, but Morris only speaks 13 words to, to Prince throughout the entire film. He's got that song playing again. The Slow Jam by Wendy and Lisa. Maybe he's finally coming to his senses. He's gonna write something a little familiar with that track. So they actually did do a sequel to this movie uh, about what, six, seven years later? Yeah, six years later. Uh, it's called Graffiti Bridge, um, if anyone's seen that. It stars Prince and Morris Day, basically still fighting about performing at the club. Um, let's see. Him and uh, him and Morris are, I guess, co-owners of the club, and they're fighting over uh, ownership and uh, stuff. So here's Morris's uh, big performance. What time is it? That's the name of their second album.
he's had some good stage presence, man. He puts on a show. I like his dance moves. Okay, so sorry. Back to what I was saying. The plot of uh, Graffiti Bridge, um, it's with, it, it continues with the kid. Um, I'm going to read it straight from the Wikipedia here. It says, uh, The plot continues with the kid living future life as an upbeat performer and co-owner of a club, Glam Slam, which was willed to him from Billy, who was the owner of First Avenue Club in the first film. Uh, solitary and lovelorn, he spends his personal time composing songs and writing letters to his deceased father. So we know that the dad does die. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> uh, the, co the other co-owner who was included in the will is Morris, his rival who now also owns uh, his own club, Pandemonium. While desiring control of the other two clubs in the Seven Corners area, which are Melody Cool and the Clinton Club, needing to pay the mayor of Seven Corners $10,000, Morris attempts to extort the kid by threatening to take full ownership of Glam Slam, Making matters more interesting is the arrival of Aura, an angel sent from heaven to sway both Morris and the kid into leading more righteous lives, while dealing with their attraction to her. Ah. As the kid continues to show resistance, Morris begins to embarrass him by way performances with his band to steal the kid's customers. Losing clientele and having his club defamed by Morris's henchmen, the kid decides to challenge Morris to a music battle for ownership of Glam Slam. It actually did not... Uh, do very well. Let's see. The, no the film was nominated for five Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Prince, Worst Director, Prince, Worst Screenplay, Prince, and Worst New Star, Ingrid Chavez. Uh, despite media hype of it being the sequel to the massively successful Purple Rain, it was a commercial and critical failure and was included on several worst of 1990 movie lists. Graffiti Bridge currently holds a 13% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 23 reviews. Wow. Um, the corresponding original soundtrack, on the other hand, received modest reviews. <clears throat> the title Graffiti Bridge comes from a now-torn-down bridge location in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. The bridge was torn down in the early 90s to make way for new construction, but to this day remains a local legend. So, I've got the soundtrack. I've listened to it a couple times, but it's nothing like Purple Rain, man. It doesn't have the impact. Um, go ahead and check out the trailer for that one. It's it's different. <laughs> I've got the movie. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do a commentary on it, though. <laughs> They're making fun of Prince, thinking that they, this is basically the last straw, you know, whoever does the better performance gets to stay in the club, and whoever doesn't loses and leaves. That's such a messed up thing to say. He's got his new guitar.
is one of those things, man. If you're watching this movie for the first time, it's like, this is a powerful moment in the movie. Great scene. There it is, man. It's the, uh, the success of this uh, movie uh, benefited every division of Warner Brothers. The box office grosses helped film division, soundtrack helped uh, record division, home video releases helped that division, and the promotional videos aired on MTV helped the music video uh, division, so it kind of kept everything alive there. So this version of Purple Rain was uh, actually recorded live on August 3rd, 1983 at the First Avenue Club as part of a fundraiser for the Minnesota Dance Theater. Um, and it actually marked the official debut of Prince's new band, The Revolution. Um, and those concert scenes were reenacted later. The other two songs that they uh, recorded at that benefit show was I Would Die For You and Baby I'm A Star. So, the song Purple Rain, um, 
was released as the third single from the album. Um, and it reached number two in the United States for two weeks behind uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham! And uh, it's considered one of Prince's signature songs. True dat. Um, certified Silver by British Phon- Phonographic Industry in 2013. And Certified Gold by the RIAA in 1984. Um, after he died, uh, the song re-entered the Billboard Top 100 at number 17 uh, later reaching number four. And uh, re-entered the UK singles at number six, making it two places higher than its original peak at number eight. Uh, originally peaking at number 12 in France, Purple Rain reached number one on the national singles chart. As of April 30th, 2016, it has sold 1,186,215 copies throughout the U.S. That's pretty sweet. For anyone wondering what the song's about, um, Prince explained it as follows. Um, he said, When there's blood in the sky, red and blue equal purple. Purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith guide you through the purple rain. So, that's kind of crazy. Included uh, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shape rock and roll, uh, ranked number 144 on the Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, um, and Q Magazine placed it at number 40 in its list of the 100 greatest guitar tracks, and Pitchfork Media named it the best song of the 80s. So, it's pretty cool. It's a combination of rock, R&B, gospel, and orchestral. <laughs> Let's see, what else do I have? Uh, released September 28, including Morris. It's a great song.
there's another error, because his uh, shirt was starting to get unbuttoned as he was leaving the stage, and we just saw him running, and as soon as he opens up the door, his shirt's buttoned back up again. I like this one because he does that cool thing with his hair. Doing the visual, but it's not a visual podcast, so you guys don't know what I'm doing. This is I Would Die For You. This was actually the fourth single uh, in the U.S. from the album. Uh, it was a top ten hit uh, in the U.S., reaching number eight on uh, the Hot 100. Um, this single here, it plays in sequence with Baby I'm a Star, because that's the song that plays right after this one. Um... And as of April 30th, 2016, this song has sold 561,772 copies uh, throughout the U.S. Um, and after Prince died, uh, the song recharted on Billboard Hot 100 at number 39. Um,
There's the hair thing. This sweet dance. This is a pretty awesome move, man. I've been practicing that when I, like, go in the kitchen in the morning to get waffles. That's, that's not my waffle dance. But anyway, it was released as a single uh, with the B-side of Another Lonely Christmas, uh, which is a song about a sad account of a man mourning his lover who died on Christmas Day from pneumonia. It's messed up, Prince, you know? But uh, here's the last song, uh, Baby, I'm a Star. Um, and uh, <coughs> it's also the, uh, the B-side of the single, uh, Take Me With You. As you can guess, you know, the song's about pop stardom. Um, So this song's pretty wild, um, and it actually, uh, it's got a back, mask, a back masking track um, at the beginning and at the end. Um, I'll let you guys figure that one out, I won't, I won't tell you what it is. But, um, let's see, this is actually, uh, Prince performed this at the Super Bowl um, halftime show, and it was also in the original cut of Tim Burton's Batman. Um, that scene with the Joker on the parade float, I was telling you about the song Trust. Um, he uh, asked them at the end if they could change it, and he had written the new song uh, Trust instead of using this one. So... I take that back. He, um... If I would read my notes. <laughs> um... He wanted a song to be called uh, 200 Balloons, um, which turned up on the B-side of Bat Dance, um, and later with Trust. So, and it's actually pretty similar to this one, if you listen to both back-to-back. -back. So. Let's see. Uh, in 2000, Tina Turner covered this song.
2006. Uh, P. Diddy sampled it. Um, 2009, a cover by Craig Wedren was included on the Prince tribute compilation Purple-ish Rain. Interesting. I've never heard that one. Dr. Fink gets a shout out there. Credits roll, and that is the movie. So, hopefully this has been kind of entertaining to you guys. I don't know. Um, I'll have to go back and re-listen to it, sync it up with the movie, see what you guys think. But um, for now, man, that's uh, 1984's Purple Rain. So, um, thanks for joining me on that. I had a lot of fun. Um, hope you guys had fun uh, watching it and listening to me ramble like a, like an idiot for an hour and uh, 50 minutes. <laughs> um, cool, man. So, uh, I guess join us next week. Uh, we'll return to our normal uh, shows. Um, have a week, and I will catch you guys next time.